The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. It is February 21st, 2019. This is another Future Socks podcast. I'm your host, Clinton Cole. I'm a bit under the weather, as I'm sure you'll be able to tell. And uh, we've got a good one, though, for you tonight. We're going to replay the interview I did with Mike Adolfo at Sox Fest about a month ago. And then I'm getting ready to speak with James Fegan. He is out at spring training. So we're going to check in on the uh, first week or so of spring training. Pitchers and catchers have been there for a little while longer than that. We're going to check in with James, see what he's... Uh, what he's up to out there, and of course the whole Manny Machado thing. I don't know if we're going to talk about it or not, really. I mean, ugh, no thank you. But uh, anyways, we're about six weeks away from the affiliates taking the field um, and in North Carolina and Birmingham. And then, of course, the White Sox open the season a uh, month and a week away. March 28th is their first game and their first home game, not until a week after that. But anyways, uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Future Sox. We will have the announcement of the other... Uh, affiliates or the other Future Sox affiliate nights. I have all three scheduled, all three locked in. They are uh, going to be a great time. I've got some tickets to give away for those, so be sure to be listening or be sure to tune in uh, to the social media platforms for those. We're going to have a great time down in North Carolina. I'm excited to get back down there and see uh, some of my friends and the prospects, uh, you know, see how they're doing. And, you know, check in on some guys maybe that we're not talking about as well. So hopefully we'll get to do all of that uh, coming up. So I'll have that announcement for you on Monday morning. I will announce the uh, other Future Sox affiliate nights. All right, so here we go. Without further ado, first up, it's my interview with James Fegan. And then it will be my interview with Micah Adolfo from Sox Fest. Hope you enjoy this Future Sox podcast. Thanks for listening and oh, one other thing, I know I mentioned the mailbag submissions, but uh, we will get to those next podcast because let's be honest, who wants to hear me just discuss the, the mailbag questions? I don't. So we'll have at least one other writer on. We'll have a little discussion about the mailbag topics. We had some good ones. We also had some uh, some interesting ones. Everyone, you know, reacting to the whole uh, Manny Machado situation. So anyways, here we go. The interview with James Fegan and then Mike Rodolfo on this edition of the Future Sox podcast. All right, here we go with the first interview of this Future Sox podcast. Joining me via Skype from spring training in Arizona, it is James Fegan. James, the White Sox reporter for The Athletic, 
Chicago. Follow him on Twitter at J-R-F-E-G-A-N, in case you don't know how to spell his last name. But anyways, James, thanks for your time, man. And uh, we were just discussing this before we started, but your weather down there, not as great as you had hoped for yet. Like, last year I really messed up because I brought, like, one hoodie. Uh, I figured I'd wear it, like, maybe once or twice. I learned a little bit from last year, and now I have, like, three, but I'm still wearing one every single day because it's under 50 all the time. And like I said, uh, we are excited for the uh, low 40s tomorrow, so it's going to be a, a celebration here in late February in Chicago. So um, I think I saw the weather in the first maybe first 10 days of March. It's not supposed to get anywhere maybe mid 30s. So that uh, I know the Sox aren't opening their home or their season here in Chicago, but uh, can't imagine it's going to be too too much warmer. Uh, you know, a few few hundred miles south in Kansas City. Yeah, memories of, like, Wellington Castillo hitting, like, a the go-ahead double late in the second game and, like, full, like, winter gear like he was in the <laughs> last scene of Inception where he's going to the snow level was they're coming back to me right now. All right, so we are going to talk prospects. Um, but first, we're going to address this. I, we're not going to get into specifics. I don't need to know about contracts and offers and all this other stuff. But what are your thoughts on the Sox pursuit of Machado and what happened? Um, it seems like they got one-upped as far as, I mean, both Pasana said it. Uh, I always say his name right. Passan has said it, and, and Kenny Williams said it, and, and Rick Hahn kind of nodded to it. You know, people made a lot of kind of the opt-outs and all that, but, you know, they would tell you that they got beat on guaranteed money, and that was the deciding factor. And the fact that, you know, they've been clearing salary for years, and, um it didn't necessarily have the most robust competition for it and still kind of lost out being outbid by guaranteed money uh, for this guy who really fit the rebuild is uh, understandably disheartening. And I think that's not just uh, for the fan base, but, you know, Kenny Williams is as uh, bummed out as anybody who is angry in my Twitter mentions uh, the last couple of days. It, it just seems like a kind of deflating moment for the organization that they, you know, they're building this incredible core that you know this site is dedicated to following and we've all been kind of following for the last two years but uh you know it's not the greatest farm system that's ever walked the earth and even the greatest farm system that walked the earth needed free agency help and trade so to not be able to land the target they they've clearly been uh specifically after this guy even like considering trading for him in in, in 2017 uh it's a major blow it it, kind of Ideally, I think it should maybe heighten their resolve or heighten the commitment that they're able to get as far as financial guarantees when they try this next year. Maybe it's a, a kind of a reckoning about what they'll need to do to have success in the future. But uh, it, it definitely kind of part of the deal of the rebuild is you're going to build this core and then you're going to have the money to spend to augment it. And it kind of you it, it kind of lessens the confidence in the second stage of that happening. And, and they've got to address it. They got to fix it. They got to come stronger next time. I didn't want to get into this, but now we started, so I'm <laughs> curious. So, um, so I guess my, you know, being being a diehard Sox fan, you know, there are things I'd like to say on on Twitter and, and you know things like that, but you know, given my position, I really can't, so I'm not going to. But I guess as a fan, you know, stepping away from you know anything else as a fan, it seemed like it was just set up perfectly for them to do it this year. The Yankees, the Red Sox, the Cubs, the Dodgers. You know the 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 perennial big spenders that you think of big spenders wise, they weren't even you know they they were mentioned the Yankees kind of were mentioned here and there, uh, the Cubs you know the rumors of Harper and Bryant and some of these other guys, 
But those main, you know, those big market, I guess you can put it in air quotes, big teams weren't really in the running, I guess you could say, for Machado, for Harper, and the Sox still couldn't do it. So my question, I guess, is next year when there's some other free agents, I think Garrett Cole's a free agent, obviously Arenado, depending on what he does. Um, yeah, there's there's some other guys, Chris Sale, which <laughs> that's a whole other topic. Uh, there's some other guys, and then, of course, you know, Trout coming up in a couple years, which... Yeah, that's that's a long shot as well. But I guess the confidence level that they'll be able to do it when they couldn't do it against the Padres, when these other big money teams are going to be in on some of these other guys, what kind of confidence would you even have that the Sox could even compete with that? Uh, my confidence level wouldn't be super uh, high, right? But uh, you know, theirs is, and. They'll say that over and over again, and they'll probably be called to say that over over again over the next year. And I hope that that them doing that indicates that they realize that they'll need to be even more robust than they were in this market as far as their offers. So um, I I definitely wouldn't attempt to talk anyone off the ledge. I <laughs> I feel like when I I uh, give people clarification, it comes off as me trying to like shout down their anger or tell them to not be upset but i wouldn't do that i think everyone has a right to be discouraged and ample reason to be discouraged i just think theoretically as disappointed as all the white Sox front office members came off the last couple of days that they would take this as an indication that they need to be robust next time they're not dumb guys they're very intelligent and and to read the market i would assume that they would take a lesson from this as far as how they respond but it's up to them to prove it and they very much uh, should be open to getting criticism about it until they do prove it. 100% agree. Um, all right, let's get into some prospects. There are some... Uh, all right, cool. Let's do it. Let's finally do it. This is the uh, Future Sox podcast after all. Um, there are some guys um, on you know the, the t- our top 30, but then you know the top 10 lists, many top 10 lists, for whether it's MLB Pipeline, Baseball America, I don't know, name them, then they're, they're on them, that had injury... Uh, shortened seasons last year. Um, Luis Robert, Mike Rodolfo, Alec Hansen, who injured or not, we self-reported. He said he was sore, whatever that may be. Uh, didn't have as great a season as anyone was hoping and actually, you know, finished in, in Winston-Salem after starting at a higher level. And then, of course, Dane Dunning, who Rick Hahn told me at SoxFest that, you know, if Dunning would have pitched a full season, he would have been, you know, one of the guys that would have been in line for that uh, five spot coming out of camp here. So what kind of uh, injury updates can you give me on, on some of those guys? Who? There's like um, a, a dozen of them. So uh, I mean, just. Miker has been swinging uh, since before Soxfest. I believe he told me a couple weeks before he'd been swinging. Saw him throwing kind of a, I want to say it's his first day of, was his first day of catch at the very start right when pitchers reported. Obviously, he's been in Arizona kind of the whole offseason before pitchers reported. Um, it was interesting to me that, you know, he was probably operated on, what was it, mid to late July, and whereas Kopech was uh, September, and Kopech seemed to have already started throwing while Micah was on his first, so it seems like maybe Micah was on a slightly slower schedule, but it's also, you know, position comparing position player and pitcher recoveries from Tommy John is a little bit apple and oranges, but he's been hopeful that he can break camp as a DH and hit and have a normal season and slowly with a throwing program 
go back into playing outfield at some point in the season, but not necessarily have less at bats than he would, you know, if he's just started the season fully healthy. Um, obviously he had a great year last year in every way you could really hope. I mean, I guess you would associate someone with Micker, Mike Rodolfo's, you know, enormous raw power, maybe with the more of a 200 ISO and, and a little bit more power production, but as far, you trade that easily for the gains and plate discipline and on base skills that he made um, last season. So, as as much as he can go back to being fully healthy, that puts him uh, on schedule to, you know, advance to the upper upper uh, minors and hopefully not create that out of options nightmare crunch where he's kind of just getting ready for the majors while his options are expiring and kind of force the White Sox into maybe a rush decision on him. Um, Hansen, uh, self-reported shoulder soreness, um, about five weeks ago. He's, his result was brought early to camp. Um, he's been throwing since I've seen him without issue on kind of more of a backfield. Obviously he's not in major league camp. So his arrangement as far as, uh, his regular throwing schedule is not as super transparent and, and obvious and up for full view as everyone else on the 40 man would be. But it doesn't seem like there's necessarily going to be an inherent issue as far as him starting the season on time, but with his forearm issue last year with, uh, you know, having the whole discussion of that, talking about how he had forearm soreness before in high school. And you never want to hear anything about a, a pitcher's shoulder at any point in time and all the kind of dramatic with his mechanics last season. It's kind of just another little discouraging note, even if it's not something that's necessarily going to specifically keep him out of action. Uh, it's another thing to take in consideration for somebody who's went from being seemingly on the cusp of maybe making the majors at the end of 2018 to you really don't want to put any expectations on him at all. You want him to be healthy and throw strikes before you really start projecting his role in any way. And this was kind of this would kind of reiterate that that I wouldn't put Alec Hansen on your in your future rotation uh, for 2020 or 2021 just because I don't know what Alec Hansen is going to be. We really have to see him kind of functioning again in any real way and it's nice that you have somebody who has that kind of ceiling in the system but it's not necessarily someone you can count on or, or plot out your future rotation with the idea that he's going to be depth just because last year was such a mess and he really has to kind of show that he can lock back into his state again um let's see that was a who's the third person uh Dunning. dane dunning dane dunning uh just talked to dane at length uh, recently he says things are very normal he's very uh cool with the the whole plan of not being major league camp he's not you know looking over too longingly but you know he told me in october that everything was going fine that he was throwing without issue in his little rehab program and just wanted to finish that and then go have a normal off season and you know he was able to do that didn't have any flare-ups or setbacks so i was a little bit surprised that he wasn't invited you know their rationale was that you know he's starting at double a which you know given what han said to you and given the, what he did at AA, it's been a really weird conservative path for him that he's constantly having to have these little month auditions at the start of every season where he obliterates a level and then gets a promo- promotion again. And uh, as he's nearing 25, it, it's a little strange schedule, but um, it seems like he's probably going to do that again this year. It's not any issues. He's, they're just kind of, uh, you know, not really ramping up his innings total uh, beyond what they need to in spring. Uh, I would expect him to start, break uh, with uh, the double-A rotation uh, in April and probably be in Charlotte before the end of April because right. you know, he's already kind of conquered that level. Um, I was just kind of uh, 
talking to the scout and looking at his trackman data uh, the other day, there's really nothing that overwhelms you with about it. And, you know, his delivery, looking at it, it's like slow down. It's like we've always talked about him being such a safe starter prospect. It's not like the most fundamentally sound delivery you've ever seen in your life, but he just knows how to pitch. He just throws such a high rate of strikes. And he's just such a good competitor that you kind of have faith in him and his ability to produce and and, and get innings in and, and and prevent runs from going on the board that it kind of transcends what necessarily any one tool that he brings to the game. Like there's no, I think optimistically and just with the effectiveness of it, you could probably put a 60 on his fastball or slider if you wanted to, but there's, there's really not like a huge like super weapon like there's not like a Zach Birdie pre-surgery 80 grade fastball that really carries his profile. It's just his track record and his production that kind of uh, carries him. So I understand why maybe you saw a lot of outlets like Baseball America kind of back off from him, you know, when once he got hurt because it's really all about his consistency. So once that kind of gets taken away, then you can people start getting scrutinizing like, well, where's the out pitch? Where's the you know? Um, incredible like velocity or anything like that with his profile because it doesn't necessarily have that i want to get your thoughts on someone else who's kind of battling uh, an injury last year um, you know renteria said that you know don't be surprised if mancata is, is starting the season at third and with that obviously the the twitter world has has immediately decided to connect the dots that probably may may not be there uh with nick madrigal you know obviously being um and, and everyone's mind, and not everyone's mind, but a lot of people's mind fast-tracked because of that now. Moncada not playing second, Madrigal being on the fast-track to the south side. What are your thoughts on Madrigal? Uh, what are your thoughts on a timetable? He hasn't even played a full season in the minors yet. Uh, what do you think about that? So I simultaneously don't think he's getting rushed. Uh, I think late mid to late 2020 is most reasonable projection for Madrigal. I don't see him as a factor this season whatsoever but i'm also kind of bordering on annoyed of like how many people have kind of tried to like knock him down or bail on optimism from the fourth overall pick based on his carolina league debut and not having slugging and you know kind of uh not seeing the pull power in his first pro debut i mean there's a general kind of idea and maybe it goes away a little bit when it's someone with a 6.4 million dollar bonus of kind of throwing their draft year aside and not getting hypercritical about it. But, you know, all the pre-draft scouting on him and video and, and everything before he broke his wrist saw, showed really ample ability to turn on pitches. And uh, a lot of scouts who saw him in the Pacific Northwest saying that there's more in-game power production that you'll probably see down the road from him uh, than even raw. You know, I watched him in the Dominican uh, he basically had a bet for whether he could hit a home run in batting practice. And he was just clearly going for it and ripping like hard line drives to left, but he lost his bet. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end, he just said like, I shouldn't do that. That's not my game. <laughs> he had a like, kind of frustration out of it. Right. And it's really not, but you know, I think that there's going to be a little bit of pull power in the probably the five to ten range that probably carries his profile and a lot of uh as five to ten as far as home runs right, right. Uh, that uh you know opens up kind of his is enough to kind of make his all field approach and obviously a lot of sprayed singles the right field uh, work 
at the higher levels. This is this is someone who people kind of talk about in reverent tones. Who saw him as a as a college hitter, as far as his just ability and his adaptability. So I'm really hesitant to get really down on him for not showing this one kind of facet of his game after you know basically maybe one and a half to two months in Winston Salem last year after at the end of a long season where he had a wrist fracture at the beginning. Um, let's, let's talk about another former first round pick, Carson Fulmer, um, a kid that, uh, obviously, you know, Han said at Sox Fest that at the time, best, best pitcher, you know, in the country when they drafted him, uh, out of Vanderbilt from, you know, from their eyes. And, uh, he's, the struggles have been well documented from, you know, tinkering with his, with his, uh, mechanics to, you know, now him being out of the bullpen. And then this past off season, he's been working the drive line. Um, and I guess, what do you, what do you see out of Carson? You know, I've, I talked to them plenty in Charlotte last year, you know, a great kid and everything and definitely want to see him succeed. But what do you, what do you see out of him this spring? Have you talked to him? What, what, what are your thoughts on, on where he is? Um, I talked to him at length. He was very positive, but I have never had a negative Carson Fuller right. interview. Uh, even when he got sent down last May, there was a lot of optimism in it. Um, so I don't know how much to read on that. Like spring training is full of optimism. I'm, you know, driveline gets a lot of popularity and rightly so. They're very forward thinking. They have a lot of success stories. I don't, I'm not quite of the, I mean, the Texas Rangers seem to be, uh, just send all your pitchers to driveline constantly. <laughs> it seems to be more when you're spinning your wheels and when you get to a point of Carson where it's someone who's winding their way out of the organization's plans and not the efforts you're making to kind of stabilize the delivery and make them more durable is really uh, resulting in a total kind of loss of their effectiveness. Yeah. Then at that point, it makes all the sense in the world for that guy to go to driveline and, and see what he can get from airing it out and, and trying to get his stuff back so he can be effective in some role. Like I found somebody on Twitter, like responded to me when I posted a video of Carson who, you know, just looking at him, I haven't seen him with a radar gun or anything like that. Clearly kind of back to more of the, max effort uh college mechanics that everyone has talked about him getting back to then someone posted like you know his arm's gonna fall off he'll be out of the league by age 28 it's like if carson doesn't get people out he's gonna be out of the league 27 so like you don't care about this at this point his development by all means kind of go and and try to see if you can get back to doing what you did in college because obviously that guy um even with the delivery concerns is going to be a first round pick just on his talent and his stuff and they're trying to reclaim that you know, you'd be happy to see Carson be a bullpen guy who's effective at this point. Whereas, you know, if, yes, if you constantly kind of assess him of, man, we spent an eighth round pick on this guy and he's gone through all this. Yes, it's disappointing, but you had to deal with it now. And it seems like that's what they're dealing with. I'm really excited to see him on uh, Saturday to see both what the radar gun says for him and how, uh, you know, hit, hitters react to him. Um, he's talked a lot about, you know, I talked to the driveline guys at winter meetings. And they talked about kind of cutting away the side to side movement or a gyroscopic spin, as they put it, just kind of making more efficient and having his curveball be a lot more 12 to six, kind of getting rid of all the cutter action that he had on everything, throwing more straight four seamer and being a lot more of the in vogue of, uh, throwing high fastballs with spin and then pairing it with the curveball. It's on the same visual plane and, and the changeup and having the ball drop and working up and down and all that good stuff that we've all read about and talked about as being what everyone's moving towards the last 
two, three years, but probably uh, secretly more four, five, six years. And that all sounds great. And I don't necessarily know. They've also talked about, you know, syncing up his motion and, you know, not having his torso rotate before his legs start to drive together and how it's going to fix his command. Obviously that remains to be seen. It sounds great. Uh, but you know, you read a lot of spring training stories about, you know, optimism and fixing command. Um, I definitely think this was definitely the off season. If we we're going to talk about Carson Fulmer in any meaningful way, kind of a complete overhaul plan was definitely a time to do it, but I'm not going to have a super firm opinion on Carson Fulmer, uh, until we actually see him, whether it works. I will say that I was a little concerned how the Sox kind of thought about him basically taking all the draft, the post-draft adjustments that they prescribed for him and basically saying, I want to get rid of these in, in you know, a more polite terminology. But, you know, if I go back in my articles about Carson, I can hear about him trying to stay tall in his delivery and pitching down and trying to get ground balls and definitely talking to Carson last week it seems like a lot of that's going out the door where he he definitely didn't couch it as the white Sox messed me up or anything like that there are obviously reasons the white Sox wanted to do the things they did but since it didn't take it definitely seems like the time to do what they're doing but um yeah we'll see (laughs) it all sounds good i don't think if carson did nothing in the offseason we'd be talking about him as possibly making himself relevant again so this is definitely i think the move at this time a couple guys um that are seem to be I, I guess the bigger names actually you know we'll get to that in a second another guy that's uh pitching Saturday um they, they got people may not really know much about is Jordan Guerrero I believe he's pitching is that correct Saturday uh yeah he's in the split spot split squad uh game in Oakland he won't be in the okay I don't know if they're televised I haven't looked it up if they're televised. I think one of them once you go to all the games you stop being very interested in whether they're on TV right, or not right. but I think he, I he probably won't be on the game okay. uh, televised in Camelback, but he'll he's pitching in Oakland. What do you think about him? You know, as possibly being someone that could push the envelope, maybe for that fifth starter spot, if not out of camp, maybe in the first couple of weeks, if if there's some issues. I kind of felt like when they made the forty-man determination that they were kind of elevating Jordan Stevens to be the guy okay. who would more knock on the door and get that chance than Jordan. I think. If Jordan pitches the way he pitched in Charlotte uh, in the second half after you know that pro- that promotion from Birmingham that I kind of thought was one both making from the Birmingham rotation and also kind of saying to him like prove it here, prove that you can pitch at this higher level, or otherwise probably the bullpen is coming. Um, he responded well to that, and you saw his strikeout rate jump up. I think if he pitches like that over the course of this season uh and then maybe halfway through before you know the big dylan cease migration happens is where you can maybe find some opportunities with that uh, okay. the depth at the same time you know, especially if they add a starter at some point this spring training given there's so many free agents left you can't roll it out that breaking through that with stevens and manny ben willis and dylan covey might be hard but then again you know if we ever go through a season where you don't wind up using your seventh, eighth starter depth, they'll probably be, you know, a pretty miraculous one. So I think there'll probably be opportunities for him at some point if he pitches well in triple a, but it doesn't seem like it would be necessarily early. Are we throwing, um, Spencer Adams into that mix at all? Like it could be, but I think it would definitely have to be a switch from last year. It definitely have to come with a, you know, a noted uptick in, 
you know, missing bats with the slider and the curveball that kind of have tried to install over the last year that he talked about um, last spring. And also just the return of that, you know, trademark impeccable control because, you know, Spencer can increase the strikeouts, uh, you know, can always do more to miss bats. But I think the way that we always thought that he would survive or thrive in the majors was being an extreme control guy. And he was not that last year. I don't know. You know, Scott's noted on his, you know, delivery, not looking as fluid as before. Spencer always told me in person that he was 100% healthy uh, outside the ligament strain that he rehabbed last winter. Um, but I think probably a year off would probably that season return to throwing as just being the absolute strike machine that he was associated with coming out of the draft in his first couple of years in pro ball is what's going to determine whether or not he has a real starter future uh, down the road. Spencer also um, a couple years younger than Jordan, and then four years younger than uh, than uh, Jordan Stevens as well. So, the youngest right. of the uh, three guys. All right, um, two two big names, obviously that everyone <clears throat> uh, can't wait for to be up on the uh, Sox. Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease. Thoughts on the timetable for these two guys? Um, I think the only reason Eloy might not be up immediately after like the twenty days that would lock up the uh, service time, uh, the seventh year of service time, seventh year of availability for a period. You guys know what I'm talking right. about. <laughs> is that uh, I think they're on the road right when that deadline probably passed and that the, I think the Detroit series uh, on April 26th was when they'd be like their first like home series when they're absolutely in the clear. Cause I was reading up on the policy recently and the whole Chris Bryant thing that's actually like 20 days, uh, in the minors rather than just the two weeks. So I think, it could be as late as that, um, where they'd have an opportunity to promote it and sell tickets off of it, and you know, hopefully, in their minds, uh, move away people's uh, memories of both bailing on Machado and putting pushing Eloy down for an extra season in the first place. But you know, he's good, and people are excited about that. You know, maybe people will get over their angst eventually, but I wouldn't blame them if they did it. But Eloy will probably be there by the end of April. And uh, we'll get to see this in a second, but I hope he waits another weekend because I'm going down to Charlotte and Winston at the end of April. So um, maybe I can see him down there and I won't miss his debut, but that's just being selfish. I'd rather him be up as soon as possible. But anyways, Dylan Cease, um, a guy that, you know, had a outstanding season last year. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, and, you know, as, as Hans said, Soxfest, a guy who, Entering last year, or entering this year, very similar to what Kopech was entering last year. Uh, what, what do you see for Cease uh, and his timetable? Uh, I would see every reason to be extremely similar. You know, if they were being as conservative uh, with him as maybe other pitchers like Dunning, I wouldn't have been shocked, just given how like few innings that he got in Birmingham, that he returned there for like half a second, but it seems like they're sending him right to Charlotte. And if everything goes right in Charlotte, uh, you know, Kopech kind of had his own personal stuff that he was going through that kept him from kind of blowing away Charlotte immediately that, you know, something talent wise, he's certainly capable of doing. So if Cease kind of has smooth sailing in that regard, you know, Kopech came up mid August. Uh, could Cease could theoretically be early August. And the stuff is certainly capable of doing that. Um, it, Obviously, with Dylan, uh, you know, this command can always be firmed up a little bit more and, you know, probably want more consistency from the fourth pitch to slider 
he admits that's a, very much still a uh, work in progress. Whereas, you know, Dylan Cease is kind of really humble about every one of his pitches, but I, I think the changeup took a major step, if nothing else, in his willingness to use it last year. And definitely saw an Audi in Winston Salem where he dominated with the changeup, which would seemingly be unprecedented if we talked about what the profile was when they first traded for him. Mm-hmm. So I think Dylan Cease has very much the ability to kind of force himself up by August. And uh, there'll probably be another tweet where they announce it. Uh, and I run over to Scott Merkin's desk to confirm that I'm not hallucinating. Like exactly what happened when Kopech got promoted. The uh, For Dylan Cease, I just, I, I don't know. I feel like he's got, you know, everything that, everything it takes. And it seems like if they would have <clears throat> maybe signed Machado, I guess maybe not for the, for the pitchers as much, but maybe – Taking a little bit of pressure off Eloy when he comes up. I don't know. What do you think about that? Is that is that something that's? I mean, obviously, it'd have been better better protection in the lineup than whoever it's going to be. But uh, do you think that would have made any difference at all, or do you think Eloy is just doesn't matter to him? I think mostly Eloy doesn't matter to him. Okay. He's. I think the reason why he's good is that he's a kind of unflappable guy, and maybe the reason why keeping him down wasn't necessarily uh, something the White Sox were concerned about is that, you know, Eloy is not, it, it sucks to put him in that position, but he's really not the guy who's really uh, have the personality to raise hell about things in a public fashion. I don't think he's really wants to do, do that or is comfortable doing that. I don't know if, you know, any player is comfortable doing that, but Eloy's just, he's, he just wants to have fun and kind of, be part of the group and, and, and have fun with his clubhouse. And I don't, I don't think that's, I don't say that to make him out to sound like a simple person, but I, I, some people are more comfortable kind of, uh, in conflict situations. And some people want to make things more easygoing and want everybody to be relaxed. And, uh, you know, that's part of what makes Eloy such a great presence on the team is that's kind of how he is. Before I get to, uh, this final question, um, I guess another guy who lost, you know, a good amount of, of development time last year was Luis Robert. And, you know, for for all the money they gave him up front and the the physical specimen that he is and the, and the raw tools he possesses, what do you think, uh, I mean, about Luis Robert this season? Is this, if he tears it up, I mean, is, he's going to start in Birmingham, I, I assume. I, well, maybe I shouldn't assume that. Maybe he'll start in Winston, I'm not really sure. But if he tears it up in those first, you know, first few months, are we seeing him in Charlotte in, in maybe August? What, what do you think about him this year? Um, they have implied that they're going to give him like a brief little time in Winston. That's as if to say, you never really conquered this level. At the same time, they didn't do that to Blake Rutherford with the whole Canapolis thing in the second half of 2017. They kind of just like, let's shelve that. You're good enough to play in Winston. And sure enough, he was. Right. Um, but it sounds like they're going to, they've given indication that they're going to send Robert to Winston. I don't know how much of that was a function of this is a super crowded Birmingham outfield. And maybe let's give an extra, you know, a couple weeks for Luis Basabe to show that he doesn't belong in Birmingham or can handle Charlotte. Now that's kind of out the door because he won't even be playing. Uh-huh. But I, I still think Robert starts in Winston Salem. They show him a, they give him a little chance to show he can conquer that, and then it's to Birmingham. And yeah, if he just torches everything, like you know, if you asked me this time last year, I thought he's plenty capable. That 
you know, he had already had such success in the Cuban National League as an 18-year-old that he was probably secretly polished enough to really clean up on the low minors, but just not having the wrist strength that, uh, you know, he wanted to drive the ball the whole season kind of took that away from him. Um, now, I'm not so sure, but I think if, yeah, if he conquers Winston and, you know, is really successful in Birmingham, I don't know necessarily August, but he could definitely end the year in Charlotte, uh, maybe similar to the way, not exactly, but similar to the way that, like Zach Collins got like that, okay. like end of season promotion to Birmingham for like the last three weeks to give him a taste of Charlotte. I could see that being kind of the, the road that Robert follows this year. And is, we'll get to that last question maybe eventually. Um, but, uh, so is Sebi the first catcher between, uh, Zach, between those two that's, that's up for the Sox? I would think so just in terms of defensive polish and having the experience in Charlotte and having a guy, you know, you want to see Sebi hit in AAA for sure. But as far as, you know, James McCann, oh. uh, gets called to testify before Congress and you need a new catcher, I don't know <laughs> I was trying to make a hypothetical scenario that doesn't involve a guy getting hurt. Um, somebody is unavailable, and you got to right. call up a catcher. You want him to basically fit in and not really have a big learning curve for the game to function. You know, Zach is progressing, and they obviously have confidence in him. And he's going to Charlotte, but I think there's still defensive progress you want to see before you come off to the majors. Whereas, you know, maybe Sebi won't hit, but I think he's ready to call a major league game with no issue and. You know, has the level of defensive competence for a backup catcher, um, where it's going to be somewhat seamless when he gets called up. So that's why I put him a little bit ahead of Zach. I still think that the White Sox, oh, I can't believe this phrase is rubbing off on me, have their druthers. Uh, <laughs> they would have Sevy and, and, and Collins in a timeshare, you know, as soon as next year, maybe. Um, but I would say that Sevy, as far as, you know, sliding into a major league game and running a pitching staff, is is ahead of Collins at this point, so I would put him first. That was probably a longer answer than such a simple question needed to be. No, it's fine. It's a podcast. Yeah. Maybe you're stuck in traffic, and I can flesh this out. We got we have all day. I don't have to hit any breaks or anything. Uh, I guess more importantly, if someone is needed in that catching position, it's not going to be Alfredo Gonzalez again first, is it? Uh, it would not seem to be, given the whole uh, getting outrighted and whatnot. Right. It's, uh, Kevin Smith's gone, so I'm just, I'm just trying to run through these other guys that were there last year. I know Nate Nolan got a spring training invite. Yerman, Yerman did it, right? Surprising, wasn't it? Yeah, so I know Yerman's a little bit older, but it seemed like Yerman had a much better season than Nate Nolan. What, what did you think about that situation? I saw that as a statement on defense. Okay. Yeah, you know, Yerman's – when he first got pulled over uh, – uh, scouts told me that the bat was really fun and he's a fun player yeah. and you know you got to see that first up as much as anybody but that they didn't believe that he was a catcher long term whereas Nate Nolan with the bat it kind of makes you wonder like how much you know regular major league role he'd ever happen ever be able to have but you know it's very clear that he's a defensive polished guy and you know you can definitely stick Nate Nolan in a major league spring training game and just have him catch and you know be not fine. yeah not ruin anything whereas you know Yerman's more a developmental project with catcher and and I don't know I definitely didn't ask a ton of Yerman questions uh <laughs> last year but you know it makes me think that they don't necessarily see the defensive progress and uh to believe that he's going to be in the mix for as far as uh major league depth down the road which is sad because Yerman is a lot of fun he's he is a character huge things. yeah he is uh he is he is definitely a character all right 
This is the final question. I saw plenty of Kannapolis last year. I obviously didn't see any Great Falls, didn't make any trips to Montana. Um, but a lot of those guys at Great Falls will be in Kannapolis this year. Um, and then some of the guys at Kannapolis will start there, and then, you know, they'll move up. There, what do you – okay, let's let's ask this. Give me somebody – one pitcher – I didn't tell you this before when I went over this question with you. Uh, one pitcher, one position player that – for our audience, you know, we've – I would like to say that, you know, we have a very – uh, knowledgeable audience, as, as you put it earlier, or not. This isn't a, a poll we're running on, you know, NBC Sports Chicago, where anything past Elo and Cease might get people. But for our audience, give me a pitcher and a position player, a prospect that you think may make some noise here in the, in the first couple months and, and be on everyone's radar. Like, make some noise in the well, lower minors to get on the radar? I guess. I, I don't know what Or do you say. mean, like, make some noise where people are, like, asking him to be called up or stuff like that? Can I say both? Because mm, I feel like they're different answers. Like, cause like, I think so, too. Because <laughs> Tyler Johnson could kick ass right. in double-A, and people are talking about, is this guy on the Ian Hamilton plan? And he could be, and he maybe makes the majors by the end of the season. But I feel like your audience knows who Tyler Johnson is. Like, I, I think so. he's been on your podcast, right? Yeah, and he's yeah he's been on the podcast a couple times. Good dude, too. Yeah. Love Tyler. Great guy. So, Tyler, let's, let's start with that, actually. Let's, let's go to that. Do you think Tyler Johnson could be called up later this year at some point? Yeah, I think he could follow the enamel track where, you know, once he figured out his control last year, he, he misses bats at an enormous rate. He, you know, Hosteller talking about it on draft night just being a starter just because to see a power right-handed guy whose changeup is that developed and has such a feel, you always think you can teach a power reliever a breaking ball and a slider has shown progress that he has such a good changeup already. Just a guy at three pitches, you, as a scout, as an amateur scout, you always think like that guy could start. He's definitely a lot more mentality-wise and delivery-wise fit, fit for the bullpen. But, you know, three-pitch relievers who have can get in the zone at all, um, those guys wind up being pitching playoff innings and yep. being closers and being multi-inning stoppers uh, in the high-leverage game. So Tyler has that kind of set up and you know he fell to them in the fifth because he got hurt in college and i think you know zach Brody has so much pedigree and all that and maybe we'll see that old zach Brody again in spring training it, you know, the guy who got picked in the first round but i i don't i don't give tyler any worse odds than anybody in their relief core in the in the minors of being kind of the closer uh long term for this team that's that's good because i i agree with you one million percent so all right other than Tyler Johnson, um, okay, I guess that's two questions, isn't it, that we decided? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Give me somebody, I guess, that, you know, that's maybe not, maybe in our, it could be in our back half of the top 30 that maybe people didn't really see too much of, but uh, that can make an impact. And maybe at this time next year, we're talking about, we're talking about them now than we're not, right? Uh, I had something like more obscure planned. Go ahead. Do whatever you want. Take this question and do with it whatever you may want. This is a terribly okay. worded question. But I cheated. Um, That's fine. Southside Sox is doing like the insane project where they have like, what, 200 Sox prospects they're going I, to? There are some guys I didn't even know are in the system that they were So they posted something about Kevin Escorcia, who's this lefty reliever who's 24 who has not pitched above low A. And I was like, I texted like some scout friends like, who the hell is that? <laughs> Because, like, I did that insane list that, like, everyone made fun of me about early right. in the year, and I had no idea who that was. 
And uh, I was like, who on earth is that? Like, this guy is 23 and he's a reliever and he hasn't gotten to high A yet. Like, how is that a dude? And my scout responded, like, uh, yeah, that guy's a dude. And I was like, oh, really? And sure enough, he has, like, great strikeout numbers, but he's like, this guy's spin rates are intense. Like, the fastball and the breaking ball are legit pitches. Like, he could he could be a guy. So Kevin Escorcia is left-handed and he's uh, 6'1 and kind of lanky and the strikeout rates apparently 62 and 44 innings last year in low A are backed by real stuff. So maybe Kevin Escorcia is somebody who we talk about as a, in the left-handed mix uh, down the road. Interesting. You, right. The more you know. Right, exactly. So shout out to Sox and Sox for <laughs> I, I had no idea. What about a, a hitter? Um, I have two hitters who were in Great Falls last year I love, but I think your audience probably knows them. Like Amado Nunez and uh, Lennon Sosa were great last year. Amado, you know, Great Falls is an insane offensive environment, and Amado is not, like, super – I mean, he's normal age to have been there at this point. He was an international signing, but now he's 21. You win a batting title in your league in the minors, that's a good sign, uh, you know. You hit 357 in the minors. That, that's good. Uh, I talked to Gellinger, uh, Mike Gellinger, about him in October, and he said that you know Amato basically was somebody who could only really cover the inner half of the plate um, when he first uh, got into the system, and that really exchanged, and he really got good at spraying the ball the other way last year. And he's not like out of nowhere. They spent a good chunk of change to sign him as an international guy. Uh, at this point, what five years ago? And, and, you know, yeah. there's some pedigree. He's a big dude. I don't really know how long, much longer second base is going to be a thing for him. Being the third base is, uh, or even first, is something that's uh, very reasonable to base just purely on his body, uh, just because he's, you know, a big, broad-shouldered guy. He's not, he would be one of the biggest second basemen <laughs> or shortstop in the league if that, that happened. You know, he's like, nearly Carlos Correa size. So I don't know necessarily about the defensive home, but he hit the hell out of the ball in, in, uh, in great falls. And so he's someone to watch in, uh, uh, Kannapolis and Lennon Sosa, you know, he doesn't have the same numbers, but he's might be still 18 and is this true shortstop <laughs> and made a ton of contact and, you know, almost hit 300 in great falls. So yeah, that's, that's, that's really encouraging. So I'm gonna so obviously see more approach to come and and uh, you know some power to show up. But if you're hitting 300 and you're 18 years old in short season ball and you're not in the complex league, uh, you're probably pretty good. So Len Sosa's got to watch. Those be two guys definitely to uh, to check on. Uh, two guys that I saw last year that didn't play a full season. I want to get your thoughts on them, and then we'll wrap this thing up. Cade McClure and Luis Curbelo. Uh, your thoughts on those two guys, and then we'll we'll call it quits for tonight. Um, I really like Cade. I heard good things about Cade. Uh, I don't think it's like an overwhelming like velocity or stuff, but he, you know, he's six foot seven. And he pitches with a ton of angle and, and threw a lot of strikes in Canapolis, and then he went yeah. down with an injury. And it sounded like, you know, it didn't sound good, but it didn't sound like uh, something where he, you know, he's kind of missed the whole season like he did, and that's unfortunate. And obviously, a college guy is not going to be. Only pitching a handful of innings, Canapolis, but you know it's definitely promising, and you kind of hope that it's not—it's something that he can kind of shrug off and uh, 
be healthy afterwards, but obviously it's now part of his injury history and something to watch. But it seems like I've seen him throwing with Lincoln Hedsman. Uh, obviously, I haven't got a chance to watch him necessarily as much as I've taken cell phone video of Eloy Jimenez because that gets more <laughs> like reach, but it seems like he's up and running and yeah. uh, healthy, so that's that's positive for him. Definitely got to watch. Probably Lincoln obviously advanced himself a bit more uh, last year, staying healthy in Cade, but hopefully Cade uh, is up and running again and uh, continues where he left off because it was very promising when it, where it was. And, and finally, Luis Curbelo. Uh, you hear a lot about Curbelo's tools um, and having pop and, you know, maybe having enough pop to stick at third base where, you know, being kind of a more broad-shouldered guy, uh, there's some expectation he'll end up, even though he's playing shortstop on the same team. You know, they talk about having Nick Madrigal working at short and uh, second baseman. So the fact that they put him at second base when they had Luis Curbelo playing shortstop seems to speak to the organization's uh, faith in Curbelo as right. someone who's worthy of developing at that position. Obviously, the numbers weren't there. His hitting coach uh, in Kannapolis, Jamie Dismuke, who I think is now in Winston-Salem this next year. It's wow. hard to keep up of affiliates a hitting coach. But he said that, you know, Curbelo was better than his numbers, that he was hitting the ball hard, and it just wasn't showing up. But, you know, he's getting up there in age just in terms of I think he's going to be 22 this year where you want to see – some production in the lower minors, more than we've seen at some point, but um, there's someone who's younger and, uh, you know, was drafted out of high school. Obviously, you want to be a bit more patient, but, uh, you know, with all the infielders that are kind of in the mix, beyond just, you know, the whole, we think of the top level of Madrigal and Makata, but also with, uh, you know, Sosa and Nunez, he's going to have to hit at some point to kind of distinguish himself from that group and emerge at the top and... This year seems like a big year for him um, that to actually put some production to, 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 to validate the tools that, that people talk about. All right. We had a plan, an outline, and I did not stick to it. We just started talking about things, and it was good. James, uh, I appreciate your time tonight, man. And, um, yeah, we could we could do this. There's 20 other prospects we didn't even talk about that we could talk about, but I think we'll – well, apparently there are hundreds. There's apparently there's apparently there's 500 according to that other the other website. So, um, but I don't think we need to get into all of them. But anyways, uh, it's been good. Enjoy your uh, time in Arizona. Maybe it'll get a little warmer for you. So that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, that sounds like it's <laughs> waiting until March. The press so. box has a uh, windows, so oh, there you go. There you go. All right, James. Thanks a lot, man. Um, we'll uh, we'll be in touch. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks for having me. All right, Clinton Cole and uh, Mike Rodolfo, uh, Sox Fest. All right, so I know you came, I think you came back here for, for rehab or an MRI or something last year, but uh, it's your first time here in Chicago. Other than that, then? Um, yeah, this is my longest stay in Chicago, actually. Um, I've been here only on doctor's visits before. So not, this, not fun stuff. Not fun. Yeah. <laughs> so so what did you think of the, uh, what do you think of the atmosphere here? pretty cold but it's but but besides that uh the i think of his shoes what do you think of robert's shoes over there fresh nice well, yesterday was better they're better yesterday mm-hmm. he had some versace's on there like boots but didn't want him to step step on you with those things yesterday <laughs> um all right so let, let's kind of get into you know last year you're you're doing so well, obviously, in the arm situation. And then you were so close to coming back again. And that happened. I mean, you know, I was watching you at Winston. You're, you're throwing and doing your drills and stuff. I couldn't say anything about it, obviously. But, um, you know, then and then it happened. And so, obviously, you're so close. I mean, well, take me through that, I guess. 
Um, it was it was it hit me hard because, like you said, I was so close. But um, it was something that was still in the back of my mind because I knew it would still happen. But that's where I got cleared here in Chicago, and they were like, "Oh, it's like healed up." I thought I had a chance of making a full recovery without the surgery, but unfortunately, surgery was needed. Um, I felt apparently they, what happens is your shoulder is weak, so it puts a lot of stress on your elbow. And I've never really used my legs to throw. I've always been so dependent because I have a good arm, but that's one of the things I'm working on now, using my legs more when I throw, take that stress off of my elbow. Okay, so what's it, you know, what, what's it like um, being here with all, you know, with a lot of your other prospect friends that you played with? I mean, you know, it's one thing to come up here to Chicago and be with the fans, but and just be with some of the guys on the big league club. But I mean, you're with some of your your, your good friends that uh, that you you spend a lot of time with. Um, it's definitely awesome. I get along with everyone. Um, we have a really good bond. We talk. We're not just. We don't just, like, talk when we see each other here. We're, like, always in communication and stuff. And it's just good to be around with familiar faces. All right, so spring training is coming up around the corner here. Um, what, what is your, your status for that? How are you feeling? And, I mean, tell me what you what you are able to tell me about it. So as of now, uh, I've been dry swinging for probably, like, two or three weeks. I just started hitting off the tee. Um, I haven't started throwing yet, but throwing is coming up pretty soon. I'm still continuing to build in my strength and my range of motion um, so what I think is if my hitting is good to go they're gonna let me hit and work my way back into the outfield because the surgery isn't needed anymore you know so are you do you have like a, a date in mind that you wanna I mean obviously hitting comes first and then the outfield so I guess for for hitting in games are, are you planning to be ready opening week that's my goal, um, and that's their goal as well. Um, we're we're pushing it. I mean, not the bad way, you know, right, right, to yeah. where I feel comfortable, and I felt comfortable. The first day I hit off the tee didn't feel too good. I was able to only take one swing because I'm dealing with some tricep tendon, like a tightness, but that's something normal that I'm going to have to work through because, you know, being in that brace and being my elbow being, like, and the flexibility, there's a lot of flexibility. There's, yeah, there's my that. flexibility is coming back okay. pretty normal. Um, but just being in that brace kind of made everything tight. And we're just kind of still building through that. So swinging off the tee is really going to help loosen that motion. So, so what about for throwing then? When, when do you plan on being in the outfield? Um, so my throwing program, from what I know, it's probably like three months. So I should be in the outfield if I start throwing within the next month or so, probably May, late May, early June. So every day, line up, throwing a hit in right field. Yeah, and hopefully, if my hitting is full goal, I should be able to probably break camp with uh, whatever team you know. So, so what's your? I mean, what are your goals this year? I mean, you know, stay healthy, obviously number one. And it seems like with your health, you're you can then focus on some other things. But what are some of those things that you want to work on this year? So this year, uh, you know, probably uh, my goal is to finish here in the big leagues um, that's one of my goals if, um, you gotta you gotta think that way you know you gotta speak it into existence um, and just have a good productive year stay healthy um, and just get back into the swing of things have fun and play baseball with my boys um, a couple a couple things real quick for you so I know you guys you're, you're playing every day are there are there what numbers do you look at uh, what what from your from your stats, what what things do you look at? What things you don't care about? Hmm. Things. I mean, I, I mean, when you're up at the plate, you can look up the jumbotron and see you know your main numbers. But like, 
slugging on base percentage. What kind of those numbers do you look at? I look at uh, slugging and OPS. Okay. Um, and, um, I mean, on base percentage, slugging and OPS, but on base percentage and slugging is wow. OPS. Right, right, so, right. so those are the things I look at. Um, looking for ways to get on base to create runs for my team to win and for, to help the guys that hit behind me, you know. Uh, I know the power is starting to come along. As, you know, that was something in the early years where that I was going to make enough contact to, for that power to play come into play. But I feel like uh, I've made enough contact. I'm going to continue working on that. You know, um, I just got to get myself and continue getting myself in good hitter position and lay off some of the, the bad stuff. I tend to chase sometimes, you know, because I get too ampy at the plate, try to do too much. It's, it's kind of not try to do too much, you know, but stay within myself and stay aggressive, locked and loaded, baby. Do you think, uh, last thing, do you, do you think, uh, you know, as you go up, obviously the pitching's going to get better. Everyone knows that. Is, how is that going? I mean, do you feel, I mean, you said your goal is to be in the majors, so you're not, you're not too worried about it, but do you feel like you're going to have to make small adjustments along the way once you get there? Is it going to be pretty much the same thing? Or how's it going to go for you? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like you have to make daily adjustments, you know. So uh, that's something that... Uh, you got to be open to trying new things. And I'm always, I'm pretty coachable. I'm always open to trying new things, you know. But uh, I try not to get too wrapped up into mechanics. Just uh, be ready to hit on time and just trust your swing. You know, I have a pretty good swing. I got some power in there. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, as you continue to move up, the strike zone gets better. And some of the pitches that I swing at probably in Class A, once I get up to AAA and the bigs, they're balls, you know, and I'm gonna be like, whoa, that's a ball. And then when I get a good pitch, I'm gonna do some damage, you know. All right, man, thanks a lot. Thank you.